Well, good morning, everyone. It is a blessing to be here with you this morning, uh, to be able to share a word uh, from God uh, with you and, to, and with you. Um, it is also indeed a welcome or a, a, a wonderful opportunity to be here uh, and to thank um, Dr. Copeland for the opportunity to come and share um, uh, in his absence and also uh, for Tom and the relationship that we have. It has truly been a blessing for me uh, to be a part um, uh, of this day of celebration. I think it says a lot about the church and who God has called us to be uh, in the world. Um, and I think it says a lot, particularly on this Sunday, um, the Sunday before Martin Luther King's uh, birthday, uh, that, that the church gives itself to this work as an expression of God's love in the world. And so I thank God for that. Um, I am also honored uh, that um, the CEO of Methodist Health System would come and share with us in worship service, and my wife um, is here. Uh, we are both recovering athletes, uh, and, Jim, and Jim is also a recovering athlete, too, uh, having played football himself, and, and I always tell people, I said, as a recovering athlete, I make noises in the morning that I used to never make, and so... Uh, when Cynthia and I, we wake up in the morning, we're like, ooh, ah, ooh, ah, pop, 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 you know? So, <laughs> so uh, I thank God for God's amazing grace uh, and recovery uh, as, an, as an athlete. Well, um, as we prepare to hear a word from God, I want to draw our attention to the passage that is found in Matthew 8, 5, and 13. Will you Prepare your hearts now as we listen um, to hear um, the word of God. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? And the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one to go and he goes, and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such a great a faith. I say to you that many will come from the east, the west, and will take their place at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown out into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believe it would. And, this, and his servant was healed at that moment. This is, the word for, this is the word of God for the people of God, and we can all respond by saying, Thanks be to God. Will you join me? Will you think with me on this thought? The transforming power of humility and love. Will you join me in prayer? 
Almighty and gracious God, we come now in the humblest way that we know how, thanking you once again for your amazing, amazing grace that meets us here in this holy place. We pray now, God, that you would rescue me from me and that you would rescue all of us from ourselves. God, that you would hide me and hide all of us behind your cross, that we may see you lifted up and glorified. We pray, God, one more time, that you would let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be holy and acceptable in your righteous sight. And then, God, we will be mindful in all things to give you all praise, honor, and glory. We pray all these things in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. As we take a few minutes to reflect on the sermon series that um, has been before us, United We Love, I think that it is particularly important for us to keep in mind, particularly in this time when we have the highest discourse in our, the discord in our, in our, in our culture, and the discourse that we're experiencing in our political climate, when we are facing for the first time a real rise in violence in our sacred places of worship, and when there is dramatic change in our climate and our inability to collectively solve, the hum to solve this problem or the human impact on the environment, and with the continued problems and struggles that we face with the sin of discrimination against race, sex, age, sexuality, and disability, and with the impending argument in the United Methodist Church and its divide over our failure to trust that God's grace is truly sovereign as the power to transform our human and has the power to transform our human boundaries and weaknesses and can save us for God's glory regardless of our humanity I believe at this time it's important for us as a people of faith to never forget that God is God all by himself. That God, even if we get it wrong and lose all sight of who God is, God is still going to continue to be God with or without our help. Because God, God God's identity is not dependent upon our proclamation or our witness but rather God's identity is established by God's power alone. Jesus says these words, and, or these words are said in Revelations 22, 13. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And Daniel 4, 35 says this, that all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will amongst the host of heaven and amongst the inhabitants of the earth. And none can say or stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? In other words, it is not our human power that establishes God's healing presence in the world but instead, it is God's power to love and to reveal God's self to us that determines God's presence in the world. 
Thus, our passage this morning, our passage this morning reminds us that regardless of who we are and regardless of what our problems are, regardless of whether we are in or out, regardless of where we are in our lives, whether we have strength or weakness, whatever it is, regardless of all of those things, God is still God. And whether we are Democrat or Republican, whether we are black or white, whether we can hear or we're deaf, whether we are rich or poor, whether we are gay or straight, it doesn't matter. God is still God. And he refuses to give up his power. God will still be God even if the church falls apart. And I don't know about you, but that is good news for me indeed. It's good news to know that even if the church falls apart, even if the planet goes in global warming, even if, even if OU loses to Texas, <laughs> it is good news to know that God will continue to be God beyond my own human condition. It's good news for me because it allows me to plant my trust in something that is beyond this world. The songwriter put it this way, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name, on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. And to know that God will be God regardless of what the climate is, regardless of what it is we face, is good news indeed. It's been a blessing to be here with you this morning to, to share in this passage and to also share uh, in the celebration of 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 20 years of ministry at this place with having a deaf ministry here. Both of my parents were deaf and, and I grew up in a deaf house and my, my, my sign name, my sign name is Caesar. And this is the sign that, that, that my mother gave me and it's the sign that I associated with good things. So if I saw something good, like I love you, I saw that, that together, I was like, that's good. But if I saw this with that, then I knew there was a problem. <laughs> but I remember my mother, my mother teaching me about the power of God's presence even beyond her own weakness when I heard her praying one night. I remember the night when I grew up in a small town in Hartshorn, Oklahoma, and if you ever get a chance, and if you ever had the chance to come to Hartshorn and, and to, to come to uh, uh, my house, you, it wouldn't be uncommon to hear uh, my mother praying in the night. In fact, this whole tradition of praying at night when everybody um, was in bed and, and asleep um, is something that my great-grandmother used to do. And if you went to Mom Annie and Papa Joe's house, you'd walk in and you'd have a welcoming mat and a place to stay and a good bed to sleep in. But in the middle of the night, you hear Mom Annie praying in her prayer closet praying for family, praying for God's grace, praying for God's peace to be done in the world. And not, not only that tradition was shared with, 
with my great-grandmother, but it was also a tradition that my grandmother shared and then my mother shared. And I remember the night I woke up and I heard my mother praying. I remember I heard her making this mumbling noise from her room. And as a concerned son, I got up and I thought that she was in trouble. So I walked into her room and I looked at her and I saw her making this mumbling noise. I got close to her and I touched her on her shoulder and she slowly opened her eyes. And I said to her, I said, I said, are you okay? And she looked at me and she said, yes, I'm okay. And I said, well, I hear you making this mumbling noise and I just, I wanted to know if you were okay. And she looked at me and she said, I was praying. And I looked at her and I said, scratching my head, I said, well, why are you not praying in sign language? And then she looked at me and she said, (laughs) she said, dummy, she said, God understands deaf people, get out so I can get finished talking to God. The good news, the good news is that God understands deaf people. That's what that deaf prayer was telling me and that God works beyond our own limited human limitations and that God will continue to be God no matter what. And for my deaf mother, God was God. And God sat on the throne. So if you feel hopeless because it seems that evil is winning the day, take hope because God won't stop being God because of our limitations and our failings. The second thing that we need to know with all of the discord in the world is that God is the main actor in the world, in the work of salvation. And it is not us weak, weak, lowly human beings. Thank God it's not us that are the main actors. When we look at this passage, when we look at this narrative that takes place with the centurion soldier, it begins with the story of Jesus entering into Capernaum. Jesus becomes the main actor in the story, and Jesus is the main actor of salvation in this powerful man's life. Jesus is the main actor in our lives, and Jesus is the source of healing in our lives. And when we focus, when we make Jesus the main actor in our lives, then our way will be made straight. Jesus is the main actor in our lives, and God is the main actor in salvation because God allows God's self with all of his power to be vulnerable to us. Always finds it amazing that that here Jesus was entering into this place, and yes, he was entering into this place, and, and, and who knows what the requests were going to be, but Jesus was going to be asked to do something for someone. And upon that request, he was made vulnerable to that request to to answer that call. I love the passage that Jesus says and, and what Jesus says when Jesus becomes vulnerable to all of us. He says this, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and open the door, I will come in and eat with that person and that person with me. 
always find this encounter and this encounter with Jesus and Jesus' words in and of themselves a real sign of God's vulnerability to us. And what's amazing is that God stands at the door and knock. He knocks and waits for us to open the door. I don't know if you've ever been in a place of vulnerability, if you've ever been in a place where you didn't quite know what the answer was going to be. But I know when you stand in that place of vulnerability, that when you stand at the door and knock, that the possibility of love always happens. Here in this passage, Jesus stands in this place of vulnerability to, he stands in this place of vulnerability to to make contact with a centurion soldier, someone who sets outside his religious traditions Someone who was considered an outcast while powerful and connected. Jesus responded to this man, responded to the call with an open heart and vulnerability. Vulnerability is important in our relationships because without vulnerability, we don't have creativity and we don't have real community. Just imagine what's going on here. This is the God of the universe who spoke darkness, who spoke light into darkness. This is the God of the universe who who was able to create the world in seven days. This is the God of the universe who by the very words that he spoke, spoke life into humanity. And yet the God of the universe, so powerful with all the magnificent power that he has and that God has, God stood at the door and knocks. God entered into this place where the centurion soldier was. He entered into this community, entered into this place of of, of, of vulnerability so that his grace would be made known and so that true relationship would be made present. Romans 5, 6, and 7 says this, You see, just at the right time, When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died. In other words, Christ died allowed Christ's self to be vulnerable. If we are going to be all that we are called to be as a church, if we are going to transform the world through our own humility and our gifts and and all the things that we have, it requires that we allow ourselves to be vulnerable. To be vulnerable. To be open to allow ourselves to experience the possibility of having our hearts broken. When we 
when we enter into this place, when God enters into this place with us, into this place of vulnerability, um, God is seeking to create and build relationship with us. As I shared with you, growing up with two deaf parents, one of the things as a, as a child of a deaf parent, you know the vulnerabilities of your parents. And I knew, um, I knew that my parents, because of their deafness, was vulnerable to the world around them. And, and I'm the oldest son uh, in, in, in our family. And, and my mother and my dad, they, meant, they, they mean so much to me. Um, they're gone now. They've been gone now for 20 years. But, 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 but my mom and dad were so important to me as a child. And I knew deeply as a child of deaf parents how vulnerable they were in a hearing world. And so um, as I was growing up, I constantly stayed in fights because my friends always tried to play the dozens with my parents. And I was like, no, you can't, you can't do them mama jokes. Your mama saw this and your mama, no, because that would always land me in a fight. Or if someone criticized my parents and they weren't able to hear it, I was always in trouble with adults. And I remember my, my grandmother and, and, my, and my mother, they were always on me. And I would always, they were always uh, telling me that you, you got to stop fighting. You got to stop getting in trouble. You got to stop doing this. You got to stop doing that. She says, you got to stop doing that because you, 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 you're getting a reputation at school. And I remember the administrators and all of those, they, were, they just didn't know what to do with this child who, who, who if somebody made fun of my mom and dad, oh, I was going to get them. I was going to find a way to get them. And I remember my grandmother, you know, she, she, she did everything. And she came to me and she was like, she was like Caesar, what's, what is the problem? And I said, I said, I said, Grandma, I said, I don't, I don't want nobody talking bad about my parents. They, I don't want nobody talking bad about them. I said, because, because they say sticks and stones will hurt you. Sticks and stones won't hurt you with words and all that stuff. Sticks and stones may break your bones and words will never hurt you. They say all that stuff, but my parents are deaf and words do hurt. And I, and I would tell my grandmother that I feel this vulnerability for them, and I don't want them to be vulnerable to the world around them. And my grandmother said this. She said, then Caesar, pray for your enemies. She said, pray for your enemies. She said, do you know the scripture says, pray for your enemies and pray for those who despitefully misuse you? She says, if you pray for your enemies, guess what will happen? Your heart will change. Your heart will change, and the world will change as a result. If we want to make a difference in the world, if we want the world and the kingdom to come, if we want to be all that God has called us to be, if we really want God's presence in the world, then we have to pray for our enemies. We have to pray for those who don't think like us. We have to pray for those who don't live like us. We have to pray for those who are much different than us. And we have to pray for those who we disagree with vehemently. We have to pray and allow ourselves to enter into this place of vulnerability because when we do, 
God's presence is made known. God's presence is made known. And transformation happens. As I started praying, my teacher started looking at me going, there's something wrong with this boy. There's something going on. And my grandmother would always remind him, no, he's praying, and the love of God is in his heart. For our anxiety, for all the things that we face, for all the things that we struggle in our own fleshly human life and with this human condition, with all the fear that arises in the midst of the vulnerability and the answer to our anxiety and our fear is God's amazing grace and love. Here's the third thing that I think we need to know about this passage and how I feel like it should inform us uh, in the midst of this is that, 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 that it is God's love, it is God's love that moves God. It is God's love for us that moves God and not our work and not our will. I thank God it's not my work and not my will because I tell people all the time when I'm leaving work, when I'm leaving home from uh, Arlington to drive to work uh, to Dallas every morning, I start out with a good attitude. I'll have the music on singing Jesus in me, love to Jesus, and I'm going along and I'm having a great time and, and somebody will cut, up and cut in front of me and I lose Jesus and the disciples. And I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that, that, that I can come on Sunday to, to find Jesus here in this place, meeting me in my own anxiety. I tell people all the time, I wake up scared to death. I'm taking a pill. I'm, I'm staying away from the news. I'm doing exercise. I put on my seatbelt. I stay away from certain people. I hang around certain people, all in an effort to keep death away. And in that effort, I am constantly battled with fear. And the remedy to that is to understand and know that God loves me no matter what. And that even if I lose this life, there is a God, the creator of the universe, who has his hands open to catch my spirit and wounded soul. Jesus says these words in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. The motivating factor for healing in this story happens because of Jesus' love for humanity. While faith is important and gives access to God's love, God's love came regardless of the centurion's faith. The scripture says, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can say to a mountain, be removed, and it will be removed. In other words, God doesn't need a whole lot to change the world. God doesn't need a whole lot to change the world. That God's love always stands ready to, to impact this incredible in enterprise that is God's work. And it is God's love that makes it happen. Finally, here's the last thing that we need to know about this passage. 
It is that the God's going to ultimately have the last word, no matter what. That, that you, know, uh, uh, you know how we always figure, figure out, like, we got to have the last word. I'm going to have the last word. I'm going to have the last word. Well, God's going to have the last word no matter what because God owns all of eternity. That time is contained in God and not God in time. And that God ultimately, at the end of the day, will have the last word. So when we stand in this place, when we stand in this place of celebration, when we stand in this place where we want great hope for connection, and when we stand in this place with our hearts broken with all the discord that is happening, when we stand in this place and we see violence in our most sacred communities happen and our hearts are broken by what we see, when we stand in this place and we find ourselves separated and not working together all Ultimately, at the end of the day, let me tell you, brothers and sisters, God will have the last word. And you ask me how I know? I'm standing here. And I stand amazed that I'm in this place of ministry. It wasn't my call, but it was God's call because ultimately, God has the last word. God says this I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning. In the end, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the good news today, the good news of this passage, is that God has the last word. I remember how this came true for me. I, um, I remember as I was, uh, a couple of years ago, I I, um, you know, you got to, you take your checkups and do all your checkups. So a couple years ago, I did check up and, and my doctor, he was looking at my, he was looking at my, my report and he, he said, I noticed you hadn't had a colonoscopy done. And he says, and you're behind. And he says, you need to get that done. So I'm going to get your colonoscopy done. So he went and put some orders in and and sent him, and so the next day I had to go meet the doctor uh, who was going to do this colonoscopy. And I, I tell you, I, I had all kind of narratives going on in my head. I, I mean, the first thing is, is I said I wanted to get the colonoscopy behind me, no pun intended. <laughs> I remember, um, you know, I went um, to, to go get the colonoscopy done, and and the physician, uh, after um, uh, uh, going through everything, you know, um, I don't know if you've ever done this, but they got some stuff that you drink, and they tell you don't leave the house. Tr trust me, don't leave the house when you drink that stuff. Um, the next day, I went um, and got my colonoscopy done, and, and I remember um, uh, as I was sitting there, the doctor came in, and he said, well, he says, good news is we, we found a couple of polyps, and we got them. He said, the bad news is you have one that I think we really probably need to pay attention to. And he says, I want to run some tests on it. And he says, but you're going to have to have surgery to get it out. And I was thinking to myself, this is so inconvenient. I got so much work to do. Why do I got to stop to, 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 to do, get surgery and recovery when I got so much of my life to live? 
And so he was like, no, you know, I need, need to do this. And so I remember, I, 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 okay, so, you know, Cynthia, she put me in a headlock, made me, you know, kept me on track. And I went to, I got, finally got ready for surgery, and I got to surgery. And as I got into surgery, Dr. Trussell came in, and, and he said a prayer with me. And then we went through surgery, and then I got to the room, and then I was in recovery. And he came in, and he said to me, he said, well, he says, I got some good news. He said, we got that. He said, we got the part of the colon that had the, the polyp. He said, we got it out. And he said, and we tested it, and it had stage one cancer. And I remember I stood there, and as he left, and Cynthia and I were together, and uh, I, I, tears rolled down my eyes. I was thankful that we caught it early, and I was scared that I had had cancer. Um, and I was in this place of vulnerability. And I remember as I was laying there in the bed, I said to myself, you know, I don't know what this life has for me, but here's what I do know. If I have 60 minutes, 60 days, or 60 years, they all belong to God that I want my life to be an expression of God's love in the world. And that if we are going to be all that God has called us to be, God is going to have the last word, and I want my expression to be in line with God's expression and the last word. So the question, and there's always a question from the preacher, so the question for us is, how do we receive this transformative grace that heals us and has the capacity to heal the world? Well, I wish I had a complicated thing to tell you, but I really don't. Here is what we have to do, and I'm glad that you asked the question. All we have to do is humbly come Come, come to this place of love. Come to this place of love humbly. And Christ is guaranteed to use you for healing. This soldier came to Christ humbly, and Christ used him for healing for the people that he loved. He stands as a testament of faith that he would leave his community and go to a Jewish rabbi, that he stands in this place of authority, but yet he would bow down to the God of the universe. He stands in this place of authority, and yet he humbly comes to Christ. Christ calls all of us to humbly come and to share our gifts and our grace, but Christ all um, calls us to humbly come so that we may be used by God's amazing grace. When I was growing up, I remember one of the things that happened in my family, and it always touches my heart, and I love the fact that we are here today celebrating 20 years of deaf ministry. I remember the first time that I heard my mother audibly both of my parents audibly say my name. My oldest sister, Eileen, she's my oldest sister. I got four, uh, three siblings, Eileen, Eileen, Phyllis, Kevin, and then me, Caesar. 
And um, I remember my oldest sister, Eileen, went to my mother and my dad, and she said, she came up with this idea. It was on a Saturday morning. She said, she said Mom and Daddy, she said, we want you, we want to teach you to, to, to say our names. We want to teach you to say our names. And so we set them down in front of us, and we made this semicircle around us. And then my oldest sister grabbed my mother's hands, and she placed them on her lips. And she, she looked deeply in my mother's eyes, and she said, Mama, she said, say Eileen. And then Eileen began to utter the words, and she said, Eileen. And I remember this emotion that welled up in Eileen and she grabbed my dad's hands and she placed them on her lips and she said, she said, daddy, she said, she said, say Eileen. And after a couple of tries and a couple of strokes, my daddy, he spoke the words and he said, Eileen. And then I remember, I remember, I remember I grabbed my mother's hands and I, and I placed them on my lips and I said, mama, I said, mama, I said, say Caesar. And, and then I, 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 I spoke the words and I said, Caesar, and she said, Caesar. And then I remember I grabbed my father's hands and I placed them on my lips and I said, Daddy, I said, I said, Daddy, I said, say the word Caesar. And I remember as I placed my, took his hands and placed them on my lips, he, after a couple of tries and a couple of struggles, he spoke the words and he said, Caesar. All of my life, I'd always wanted to hear them say my name. I'd always known this to be the sign that I grew up with. I always knew this, and it touched me deeply. I always knew this sign because it meant that, it, that whatever it was, that, that it was going to be connected to two loving parents. I always loved this sign because it meant so much to me, but I wanted to hear them say my name. I had Caesar associated with love you and food and mama and daddy and all of those things, and I, and I always see Caesar associated with that. And here, God, had, here my parents had spoken my name. I remember the day that my mother died and we placed her in the ground. And I stood in this place of grief. God brought that story back to me and said to me, how much sweeter will it be when I call you by name? When I say, well done, thy good and faithful servant, you've been faithful over a few things. Now I'll make you rule over many things. How much sweeter will it be when I call you by name? God will have the last word. And God will call each one of us by name. And God's presence will be made known in the world no matter what. And the good news, the good news is that God loves us. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? Almighty and gracious God, we thank you for your amazing grace that meets us here in this holy place. We thank you. 
that you will always have the last word in the world of disruption, in a world of conflict, in a world of discord. That you will always have the last word that will lead to life. And so we pray that you would help us to be faithful to your call, faithful to your love, faithful to who you are as God. Be with us this day. And then we'll be mindful in all things to give you all praise, honor, and glory. We pray all these things in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.